Remember Pulp Fiction, the 1994 cult hit movie by Quentin Tarantino starring John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson? Of course you do. One cannot forget the frenetic and engaging dialogues from that movie, particularly in the case of Vincent Vega and Jules Winfield. As they drive on their way to recover a mysterious briefcase belonging to their boss, Marcellus Wallace, I cannot forget the conversation they had about Vincent's time in Amsterdam and a McDonald's in Paris where he goes for a glass of beer and a Royale with cheese. Later on, as they're recovering the briefcase from Marcellus's business partner, Brett, Jules asks him for a bite of his burger from a fictional spot called Big Kahuna Burger. In a way only Samuel L. Jackson can, he takes a bite and says, Mmm, this is a tasty burger. Fast forward to Vincent's date with Marcellus Wallace's wife at Jackrabbit Slim's when Mia, played by Uma Thurman, orders the Derwood Kirby burger, Bloody. Hollywood references aside, I've been on a burger kick lately, largely because I've been making my way one tasty burger at a time to what people have described to me to be the temple of burgers, which we'll get to later. My name is Jade El Coro, and today we're talking about hamburgers on the Aimless Cook podcast. So what's going on, everyone? It's been a nice January thus far. I know it's really been cold lately. A lot of comfort food, a lot of pho, a lot of uh, kinds of soups, soup weather, definitely. But I find myself that I've been doing a lot of uh, burgers because I've been on this burger kick. So during my journey, I've tried many good burgers, including around Calgary, uh, we're talking places like Lil Empire, Clive Burger, Inglewood Drive-In. I uh, just did that Rain Dog Bar, Billy Smashburger pop-up at Roy's Kitchen. And, and I mean, the list goes on. So I wanted to see what makes a really good burger. So who better to show me than my friend, Chef Joel Harris from the J-Spot at Fresh and Local Markets and Kitchen located in Avenida Village. So I've known Joel for years, and it started shortly before he started working with Duncan Lee at Foreign Concept, and he had just recently returned from a work stint that he did for two years in Maui with uh, Chef Sheldon Simeon of Lineage and Top Chef. Within a few months of working with Foreign Concept, Joel eventually took charge of Duncan's new fast casual concept, Takori, located in what was then called Avenida Food Hall. Now, eventually, as the pandemic kind of wreaked havoc on small businesses, the Takori Kitchen at Avenida was sold to Joel, who changed it to the J-Spot. Now, since then, Chef Joel's been killing it with his signature menu, hearty selection of sandwiches, tacos, rice bowls, fries, and his signature burgers. Award-winning burgers, actually. His two years in Maui definitely resonate in his flavors and in his spirit of aloha. So you're going to see it in all of these great dishes. So I can't wait to get into this. The J-Spot is the signature burger consisting of a smash patty, charred diced onions, a cheese skirt, lettuce, 
house-made pickles in a special sauce, all precariously assembled in a Kaiser bun and served with a side of fries. Now, side note, shortly after my review of Rain Dog Bar's burger, someone had commented on their disdain for American cheese on a burger. To which I replied that American cheese and burgers are made for each other. Now, in many cases, American cheese is the cheese for a classic burger, except, of course, in the case of the cheese skirt, which requires a cheese that makes crust when grilled. Now, semantics aside, the use of shredded cheddar or Monterey Jack or whatever in the case of making the cheese skirt makes complete sense. So, uh, now that we have established the rules for alternative cheeses and burgers let's move on or let's get technical now if you want to get technical we can look at how chef joel makes his burger and the distinct differences in his cooking compared to other classic techniques now this my friends is geekery at an all-new level so buckle up after all this is an episode about burgers all right so some smash style burgers are made with the onions thinly sliced and put on the patty as it cooks. And this is an homage to a technique that was developed and it's called the Oklahoma onion burger, which we'll talk about in a little while. When the patty is flipped over, the onions underneath then caramelize and infuse the flavor into the meat. In addition, the lacy edges further caramelize and get crispy, forming a variety of texture and even more concentrated flavor at those points. American cheese is then put on the patty, followed by the bun, which goes on top and which steams as the patty finishes cooking. Now we talk about uh, Joel. Joel cooks his components separately at first, starting with the meat, smashing the patty. As you can see from here, smashing patties is serves a couple purposes like one when you're doing high volume and you're doing something fast they cook faster they're more consistent um the other thing is that uh when you smash patties they take on a lot of flavor especially when you're working with something like a flat top because you're getting all of that contact okay so let's move on anyways the diced onions that he does that he does diced onions char nearby as the bun is toasted on a separate part of the cooking surface so all separate once the onions are charred and the patty is flipped the onions are put on top now this is followed by a generous copious pile of shredded cheese enveloping the meat and onions in what will be melted molten bliss the rest of the cheese pile which falls directly on the cooking surface becomes crispy forming the skirt and once the cheese transforms, it does two things. It unifies the beef and charred onions, and it provides yet another texture in the form of that crispy edge. Now, in most cases, I like to break off the edges and eat them between the bites of the fries or put them back in the burger. It's kind of like having a bonus snack. And don't we all love bonus snacks? Speaking of fries, his fries are twice cooked and they're cooked very well with a lot of care and attention to achieve that crispy outside while having that wonderfully fluffy kind of done interior earning their place beside a burger that is crafted so well. So looking back at the two methods now, you can see that one can choose the lacy onion skirt or Joel's lacy cheese skirt. 
Now, both make for a very good burger worthy of the respect of any aficionado. So that being said, there is really no right or wrong cheese when it comes to making a tasty burger. I kind of go for like, you know, cheeses that are good and melty. And that can either be, you know, the shredded one that gets crispy or American cheese, which I just love because it just envelops with that lovely flavor, right? So you can love your shredded cheese and I will love my American cheese and we'll get along. We'll have a beer and we'll still be friends, right? Facebook guy. So I talked a lot about smash burgers and it seems that smash burgers are the thing these days. If you look at a lot of uh, the burgers out there in the city right now, and if you check out a lot of what's happening in the food realm, yeah. And it's refreshing to see that this technique has been adopted by so many as I like to experience the products of all of this creativity. And we really do in Calgary have a lot of nice, good burger places, you know, aside from the chains. Now, the first time I ever had a smash burger was from the franchise sharing the same name. But let's be clear. Smashburger did not invent this technique. Now, this is a franchise. Smashburger is a franchise that started in Denver, Colorado, back in 2007. So we'll take a history note here. The technique of smashing a burger is often associated with uh, Oklahoma burger. And this technique was first utilized during the Great Depression. And I'm going to read an excerpt from an article written in July 2023 from the Daily Meal, which kind of goes into the details of this. So, quote, in the late 1920s, the father-son duo of Homer and Ross Davis established the Hamburger Inn in El Reno, Oklahoma. Situated along the renowned Route 66, this diner catered to the needs of travelers journeying between Chicago and Los Angeles. As the grip of the Great Depression tightened, the affordability of beef diminished, presenting a challenge for the burger-centric establishment. And in response, Ross Davis devised a creative solution. To make his burgers more cost-effective and accessible, Ross began incorporating copious amounts of shredded onions to the hamburger patties, like I mentioned in the beginning of the episode. This inventive technique allowed him to stretch the limited meat supply while enhancing the the flavor profile. The onions were pressed into one side of the patty, resulting in a flavorful combination of tender beef and crispy onions. The introduction of these onion-infused burgers at the Hamburger Inn quickly gained traction among both local customers and weary travelers passing through. The distinct style of the fried onion burger soon caught the attention of other burger joints in the area, leading to its widespread adoption. The term, quote, this depression burgers became associated with this creation, reflecting inventiveness in a trying economic climate. That was the quote. Back in 2012, I was at a media event for the first smash burger that opened in Calgary on 32nd Ave. So we were invited into the kitchen to see the technique being done. And at the time I was doing YouTube videos. So I was in there with the camera and the CEO at the time, I didn't know it was the CEO because I was like directing him to show me things again and again and, you know, talk about it as he went through. Anyways, the CEO at the time showed us their patent pending smashing tool, which was basically a burger press that was shaped like uh, an irregularly shaped patty so that 
you know, that would be hand smashed. It was also hollow, meaning that when you pressed down on the specific weight of, of uh, beef, which was unseasoned, the press would be held down for 10 seconds. And then what you do is you get that lovely crust. And it would also fill the cavity of that press perfectly, ensuring that every patty was the same thickness and consistency. It was pretty clever. Now, I know a lot of you out there would probably scoff saying that corporations take all the character and humanity out of food. And I would concur with you to some degree, especially since the human factor is what I appreciate most about local restaurants, mom and pop shops and those legacy restaurants with loyal and dedicated fan bases and long, long histories. On the other hand, if you've ever had the ba- the burgers at Smash Burgers, you'll know that they're pretty good. They're consistent. They have a really lovely crust that every good smashed burger should have. But that's one chain. You know, there are a lot of burger chains out there. And if you have a favorite, please let me know. I think my favorites are, for chains, probably Smash Burger... Carl's Jr., Five Guys, Fat Burger, A&W, and I think my nostalgia, Dairy Queen. I love Dairy Queen. Now, of course, I can't just talk about burger chains without mentioning the most important one of all, and it's not the one you're thinking. I'm talking about the one chain that pioneered the hamburger industry and implemented the many firsts that are still an integral part of the fast food industry today. I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about one that introduced French fries as a side in 1921. I'm talking about the first to implement this uh, a stainless steel kitchen, a pristine and sanitary image with completely white uniforms, and the first to introduce paper hats. This is also the first one to use coupons to promote business which was also used to track new customers and provide you know marketing data it was also the first to standardize portion sizes cooking techniques the shapes of the patties and the buns to operate more efficiently these are all things that were firsts as well as the first fast chain to bring products to retail yes i'm talking about white castle And it's pretty amazing when you see all of those firsts that White Castle is the one chain as well that I wish would come to Calgary more than any other. No locations yet, though the frozen burgers have been available since 2015 in the stores. So shout out to White Castle for being such an innovator and come to Calgary already. Speaking of innovation as well, another first was that White Castle was also the first to introduce in 2018, a plant-based burger with Impossible. Now, of course, nowadays, many of the chains right now offer a plant-based burger these days, usually either one of the two, Impossible or Beyond, in response to the growing number of diners that eat plant-based diets. You know, and speaking of plant-based diets, there are two camps when it comes to preferences of plant-based burgers. There are the OGs. They usually like unprocessed natural veggie burgers usually made with ingredients like oats black beans tofu chickpeas and then they're the rest 
who like new products like Impossible or Beyond, Not Beef, etc. And I've tried both. And I can honestly tell you that I've had good burgers from both sides of this. When I used to work in Winnipeg, there was a vegan burger joint called Boone. And they made some of the best veggie burgers that I've ever eaten. And they're featured on uh, Food Network Canada's show, You Gotta Eat Here with John Catucci. And I would have to say, from the point of view of a diner, in classic things like burgers, that a veggie burger that is not made with beef or trying to be like beef is a different flavor altogether. It's a different thing. Is it still a burger? I don't know. I'm on the, the jury is out on that. What do you think? Tell me, let me know if you think a burger or a patty that is not made of beef is a burger. That being said, um, if I had to choose the processed plant-based burger, it would probably be impossible, hands down. The Burger King Impossible Whopper is surprisingly good and huge. Not Burger is another brand that's fairly new that is up there as well. I've recently tried their product at a GFS trade show back in the summer. And I should also note that while I was at that show that all the major plant-based players are out in full force, repping hard. So it's really not going anywhere. The only criticism I have with those products is that they're super high in sodium. So if you like those, just be warned that they're high in sodium. Now, I'm surprised with all these firsts that White Castle isn't the corporate powerhouse that, other pl- that the other place is. You know the one I'm talking about. Now, the reason is this, because White Castle maintains its identity as a family-owned business and has full control of its operation, and it's never been franchised and likely never will. And I think that businesses, corporations like that, believe you know, that this maintaining a slow and deliberate growth is, is good. Um, and it's good to a degree that owners see fit. So they can see, they can maintain quality, ensure consistency, and I respect that. I respect that it's not just, you know, the plan to take over the world. There are a lot of ways to make a burger. If you research, you go into research and studying regional variations and history of burgers, just in the U.S. alone, you're going to be quite surprised at what you learn. One of the things that I want to suggest is you watch on YouTube, look up George Motz, M-O-T-Z. He has a really good burger Um, show on YouTube that you should watch. I highly recommend it. And I included a link to the history of the Oklahoma onion burger on the show notes. So make sure to go down there, take a look. Now, I know I talk a lot about the smash technique and the reason is because it is one of the best techniques out there. And the reason it is because it is it utilizes my favorite way to cook a burger, which is on a griddle or a flat top. And I know some of you out there like grills, charbroiling, and, and all that, but the patties are relatively thinner on the smash technique. And if you like a hearty burger, you just stack them. You get more, right? You get more caramelized surfaces, and everybody wins. And they're also consistently better when you eat out because there's nothing I hate more than you know, a thick burger that looks good but is overcooked to a puck, right? Like 
A thick burger is delicious, but only when they're cooked properly, right? Or else, you know, you have the ones that are at a cookout, the homemade ones from people who don't know how to make a burger, and they make these huge, thick burgers, often with big chunks of diced onion inside that are raw by the time you get them. Now, the common error in cases like this is that usually the heat is too high, resulting in a charred outer layer while trying to bring the interior to temperature. And there are a few ways to remedy this, including making a dent in the middle. I've seen the TikTok hack where someone puts ice cube so that it cooks at, you know, I've seen a lot of them. Or you just cook at a lower heat and go longer. Or sear it then cook lower or reverse sear or, you know, just like you would a steak or do the sear and the finish in the oven. There are a lot of ways to do it. My favorite way to have a thick burger is medium rare, but you have to ensure that the meat is ground, freshly ground. Now, if you grind your meat, this is a totally doable option. And then another way to remedy this is to cook your patties in an immersion circulator, sous vide style. Now, this will effectively pasteurize the meat at a temperature for medium rare, which is 130 degrees Fahrenheit for two hours. And then you can just pop them out, quickly sear them, and you're good to go. The problem that that some find with cooking sous vide, especially things like burgers and proteins, is that some get weirded out by the extremely consistent doneness. And I found that in my experience, a few you know, will get sent back saying that it's undercooked. It happens. It happens a lot with sous vide, especially with like salmon or chicken. We used to do like a fried chicken that we would sous vide and then we would fry it to order. And, and when people see the inside, sometimes like when you see like, we, we did it like uh, to a temperature, like a Chinese style poached chicken, which is usually... Uh, I don't remember the temperature now. 150 or something? Yeah, 150. And what? as a result, you see the joints, they're still pink. And people don't like it. So they don't eat it or they send it back. Which I really like because you want it to be just done. Um, but apparently there are some people that like their, their chicken overcooked. But... <laughs> That's for another show. Now, I like sous vide as a tool, but for a while there, people were really using it as a crutch, especially, you know, home cooks that couldn't wait to tell you that they specifically cooked your food sous vide. There was a channel on YouTube called Sous Vide Everything for a while, too, where these guys would literally, that's all they would do on their videos is sous vide steaks. I don't think it's even called sous vide everything anymore. They even changed the name because they know how silly that is. Can you imagine? It's like telling me that, you know, you boiled this pasta. This is boiled linguine with a lovely aromatic Spanish olive oil, shallots, and garlic. This is ridiculous. One of the most interesting techniques I've seen for burgers was not in the way that it was cooked, but in the way that it was constructed. And... This technique was developed by uh, Chef Heston Blumenthal, and it works like this. The meat is ground in-house, obviously. And as you know, when you grind meat, it comes into a, it goes into a grinder, and it comes out an extruder. 
So what happens is it's carefully handled as it comes out of the extruder so that the rows coming out are kept intact and aligned in the same direction, okay, parallel. So imagine a log of beef consisting of parallel rows, which is then wrapped up like a torchon. Once it sets in the fridge, the patties are then sliced off the log and then cooked on the flat top. And I'd heard, I first heard of this method in the Mission Street Food Cookbook, where Anthony Mint and Danny Bowen did a burger pop-up at a supermarket called Duck Loy in 2011. And... I can't remember if I've ever tried it. I don't know if I ever have. For a while, I thought Market had a burger that was like that because their burger, their house burger was really good. And it came apart like that when you bit into it. That's what I suspect, but I've never asked. I should ask. I should ask uh, Dave Bohati. Maybe he knows. So a lot of you on Facebook have requested that I go visit Class Clown. Now, I've been doing the roundup and talking about various burgers over the past little while and posting those writings on Facebook as well as on the Substack. And yeah, a lot of you had, had recommended that I visit Class Clown. So here's the review. Let's take a listen. Nostalgia is the greatest ingredient in any recipe. Just add a bit of it to a dish and it will mystically transform it into something beyond just components on a plate, or in this case, in your hands. There are many reasons I don't like visiting newly hyped restaurants. One of them include the effort it takes to get a seat. The other being that new restaurants are rarely good. They take at least a few months to get into a groove, build a culture, and become a cohesive unit. It's Wednesday, it's 11 a.m., and it's my day off. What better time than any to follow your recommendation and visit Calgary's current burger obsession, Class Clown. Class Clown is a restaurant fueled by nostalgia. The space is reminiscent of a Filipino uncle's rec room from 1978, though it isn't cluttered like the many places that try to replicate a retro vibe by cramming in so much vintage kitsch that it forgets it's a restaurant. This space has the upholstered bar, the wood-paneled walls, and the shelves of era-appropriate knickknacks. The only thing it doesn't have that a Filipino uncle does is the case lots of Costco purchases that pile up over time, like the warehouse at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, who needs eight cases of Insure? It's fascinating to see that burger choices on menu these days have evolved from very utilitarian descriptions like single, double, cheese, bacon cheddar, to nostalgia-driven options, reflecting flavor profiles made famous by brands like McDonald's and In-N-Out. I think this is largely because in some cases we would like to experience brands we don't have here like In-N-Out. In other cases, like in the Donald McRonald burger, we're intrigued by the idea of trying the classic flavor of a McDonald's Big Mac but with premium ingredients prepared with skill and utmost care. Though I was expecting a premium burger bar to have a premium priced menu, I was surprised to see that it was consistent with many other places in the city. I was more surprised and delighted to see that highballs were only six bucks. 11 a.m. be damned, I'm having a rum and coke. On this visit, I opted for the California Classic, 
an homage to the famous In-N-Out burger featuring two mustard-grilled smash patties, two slices of American cheese, trillion island sauce, pickles, shredders, tomato, grilled onion on a toasted and buttered sesame seed bun. What arrives is a neatly wrapped package of the mentioned components, expertly crafted to defy the laws of burger physics and remain intact through every glorious bite. In the case that it does fall apart, the staff was thoughtful enough to include a moist towelette packet. In addition, I ordered a bowl of super fries, crinkle-cut fries covered in a house cheese sauce topped with crushed Hawkins cheesies and chives. My doctor would be shaking her head right now, but come on, crinkle-cut fries. What I can say is that, as a pairing to the burger, it is a little much, but perfect for sharing. The cheese sauce is wonderfully smooth and delicious, and the chopped fresh chives are a nice touch to bring a little grown-up class to this cheap and fun dish. Overall, Class Clown does deliver on his promise to give diners a fun place to enjoy a burger and a taste of nostalgia. It offers a nice alternative for people who want a bit of refinement, but doesn't take itself too seriously. In other words, you could have your Royale with cheese and a glass of beer like your inner Vincent Vega. Class Clown is located in Mission at number 106, 1711 4th Street Southwest. Now, you know what I was thinking? Boozy shakes, when you think about it, would be great though, right? Imagine a shamrock shake utilizing something like creme de menthe with a really good ice cream. Wouldn't that be epic? I mean, creme de menthe would redeem itself from the only booze you could steal from your parents' liquor cabinet to an actually bona fide drink component. So a little side note here. I went to Class Clown twice. I went yesterday and I went today. And today I actually got to bring my wife along for a lunch. And we got to talking about nostalgia and I know this nostalgia is a lot to unpack and I actually have an episode dedicated to nostalgia and food but she had these interesting to say things to say about uh, nostalgia and how it relates to what we're talking about today which is hamburgers let's take a quick listen chili cheese fries remind me of when we would stop at DQ after going to town for a part or something to do with the farm and we get chili cheese fries at Dairy Queen. More the memory than the have to have them aspect. Nostalgia is a very, very powerful part of any meal, isn't it? For most food, yes. Now for food, something like this that you hold so close to you, like burgers, this is very important, right? I would say, I mean, I think when you have that nostalgia aspect, it, you enjoy the meal differently. You appreciate it differently because it brings back other good memories. Joe actually brought up a really good detail of nostalgia that is very Canadian. And if you are Canadian... Uh, especially if you're from Saskatchewan, you'll probably really relate to this. So take a listen to this. So ring burgers, I mean, they're nothing special, right? It's a frozen patty from some random grocery store, typically in the 80s and 90s. Fried on a grill, cheap-ass bun, slice of cheese, and away you go. 
there's nothing special about rink burgers. But you ask anybody who grew up in the 80s and 90s in a rink in small town Saskatchewan, Alberta, there's a ton of nostalgia attached to it. And so you're always searching for that flavor because it reminds you of those moments and how much time you spent there. And it, you always have memories of it tasting better than it probably does now, but it's because of all of the experiences you had. So ring burgers, again, nothing special, but the nostalgia bumps it up quite a bit. And you'll never replicate that flavor. So I can remember walking into the rink and like what the downstairs looked like. I remember walking up the stairs and you walk into the kitchen slash restaurant area and somebody's parents were behind the counter because it was their turn. And you knew that they'd have certain kinds of chocolate bars and certain kinds of bags of chips and certain kinds of gum. You can st- I can still smell the smell of onions frying and burgers cooking and if you were lucky, fries cooking and the glass that overlooked the ice and doing your skating lessons and then being so starved that you'd race upstairs to grab something to eat and it tasted so amazing because you were so hungry. And there was nothing special about the food. It was the soup was whoever in the community, it was their turn to make soup. They would bring soup and they would also sell that. But all of those memories of those, how much time you spent there. And it literally sticks in your head. And I, in my brain, I can picture every single moment of it. I don't think the building looks anything like it did back then. And some of it doesn't exist anymore. But I can still t- remember all of that. The smells, the sounds, the people. Every bit. That's the nostalgia. So that was awesome. I'm glad that uh, she was able to share that. Because it's, I think it's very valuable not only one because you have those memories and that you are able to share them, but um, it's a very important piece of the story. And when I'm talking about the story, I'm talking about the big picture in terms of how hamburgers, burgers themselves, are a part of our history. Not just the U.S., though the U.S., you know, of course, has all of those regional versions of, of burgers. But I'm so glad that she was able to share Rinkeburgers. I almost forgot about it because Rinkeburgers are a huge part of Canadiana. And to have, you know, our own kind of uh, connection to burgers is incredibly awesome because it is very distinctly Canadian. So thank you for that, Joe. And of course, we're going to have more about this topic of nostalgia and food on a future episode. So stay tuned for that. So other than that, um, now that I got you nice and hungry for burgers, what are you waiting for? Go and get one or even better, make one of your own using one of the many methods that we talked about today. Uh, I included, of course, all of the reference for this episode in the show notes, as well as the sources for a lot of this information. In addition to a video link to one of George Motz's amazing burger series, on YouTube. So one of the episodes, I think this was the history of the Oklahoma onion burger. So go and get stuck down that rabbit hole. And I guarantee you're going to be educated. You're going to be amazed. And most importantly, you're going to be ravenous for hamburgers. So that's it from me. My name is Jay Del Coro, and you're listening to the Aimless Cook podcast. Be kind to one another. Please rate and review the show if you like it. Share it with your friends. 
and stay hungry. And I will talk to you on the next one. Peace. Peace.